welcome to another episode of the Great Chief Podcast. I'm your host, Big Tom Perkins, along with Dr. Cameron Meyerly. And today, again, we're joined by Rusty Burgett, uh, Chief Executor, Head Honcho at National Sheep Improvement Program. And the reason I used those last two terms was I forgot what you told me your official title was. <laughs> so, Executive Director. Executive Director. There it is. I knew. If I'll I take could. the chief. I'll take chief executive. That sounds like a promotion. Yeah, Ed I Honcho. like it. Yeah, yeah. Ed Honcho, that that'd be the one I'd pick. Right. I like it. <laughs> so we've got a whole bunch more EBVs here that we're going to try to lump in and kind of figure out. And uh, I don't know what any of these are, but Cam does. Yeah, and so you use the term there, lumping in, Tom, and that's probably the simplest way to talk about an index for breeding values. And when we start to look at these indices or uh, multiple indexes uh, across different breeds, I uh, thought it'd be good to have Rusty kind of give a, a rundown at what they're looking at because we have sheep that do different types and kinds of things. And we place selection on those different things within those breeds. So, you know, Tom and I are, are both Katahdin producers, so let's start with with the hair index. And maybe first, maybe just mention kind of the value of using an index if I'm a commercial producer and maybe I don't want to take the time or I don't have the time to spend evaluating every single breeding value. What does an index offer to me as a commercial producer? Yeah. So what an index does is it it tries to simplify the game here. Uh, so it tries to combine multiple estimated breeding values into one easy to use number. Um, as I've been listening to you guys' podcast here for the last uh, month or so, it's um, uh, I've realized you've had what four or five individual podcasts trying to break down each of the individual estimated breeding values, yep. and uh, it I could be. To be completely honest, I understand it can be information overload. There's a lot of individual breeding values to try to make sense of. An index tries to simplify that, tries to bring multiples together to try to move the needle on multiple traits at one time to achieve a certain goal. Um, there's Depending on what type of breeds we have, we have different goals. Um, you mentioned since you guys are both Katahdin breeders, we'll, we could talk about the USA Maternal Hair Index. Um, and that's First thing is we did have a nomenclature change of that index. It used to be the USA Hair Index, um, but I got a lot of calls asking about, you know, how does that measure um, coat shedding and color and stuff like that? And uh, so I realized that, yeah, that, that's a little, uh, that can be a little confusing because uh, the USA Hair Index has nothing to do with coat uh, coat color, coat shedding, anything like that. Um so it's, it, it is a truly a maternal index. So we call it the USA Maternal Hair Index. And it's structured very similar to our USA Maternal Index. That's the one that our um, semi-prolific uh, wool maternal breeds use. So our polypays, our fins, um, so on and so forth. And both of those indexes, the, the maternal indexes, they're simply trying to maximize pounds of lamb weaned per ewe lambing. So it combines multiple traits, all of those reproductive traits and maternal traits into one to maximize pounds of lamb weaned per ewe lambing. That's that is simplest. That's what we're trying to do. So all of the traits that go into that, 
items like number of lambs born that we talked about because that directly impacts, you know, if we have more lambs born, we have more pounds weaned for that dam. Maternal weaning weight incorporated into that. And then some of the growth traits are also incorporated, correct? Yeah. So if we're going to try to maximize pounds of lamb weaned, we need to look at all the traits that influence that. Um, that starts with, in order to to wean pounds of lamb, a ewe has to have lambs and she has to raise them. So we're going to look at the number of lambs born and the number of lambs weaned, estimated breeding values. Then that uh, the lamb has to grow. Okay, So we look at the the weaning weight estimated breeding value, the genetic potential of that lamb itself to grow to weaning time. And we're also going to look at um, how good of a mother is that you. Uh, so we're going to look at the maternal weaning weight estimated breeding value. So we've got number of lambs born, number of lambs weaned, maternal weaning weight, and the weaning weight of the lamb itself. All four of those breeding values we try to balance in a particular way to try to maximize the pounds of lamb weaned per ewe that's lambing. Okay. Yeah, and I think it's a little bit easier, especially, again, for the commercial producer, if you're just getting started with NSIP, I think it's a little bit easier to benchmark that that single EBV, that index. Uh, it, it's hard to find where there's a negative side to it. Certainly, if we maximize it, maybe it doesn't work in our in our operation, maybe we end up with too many lambs, uh, but ultimately it, they're positive traits. You know, it's a good thing that we're selecting for. Uh, it's improved production. And so you know, early on, we first started with Katahdin sheep. It was before the, the reset and uh, talking with some NSIP producers that had been in it for a long time. And it was this magic number of a, uh, a hair index or a, maternal hair index of 110 and i remember the first ram we bought it was it was a big deal he's like you know this is this is a 110 index sheep and it was easier for me you know this whole list of rams i can go through and look at all five traits or six traits or whatever that go into this and then the ones that i feel are important or i could just go over and, and look briefly and sort the ones that fall where they need to in that combination category of that index. And then from there, I can go back and look at fecal egg count EBV or uh, you know, the ones that are superior in an individual trait after I've kind of sorted the big group down to a handful of sheep on that index. And so I, I thought for me coming into it, again, we were commercial Katahdin producers that uh, had bought into some ewes and knew we wanted NSIP rams, that was the easiest thing to kind of find uh, and to be able to place some value on those genetics. So I found it extraordinarily helpful. Uh, and certainly today, kind of sort from there and then work work backwards uh, and and find what's, what's going to work for us. But uh, you know, it's certainly a powerful tool. And then also, you know, Tom, you'd mentioned all of the different ones. So as we jump into our terminal breeds, we have uh, that Carcass Plus index. And something I was familiar with dealing with those Texel sheep at WVU. Uh, but what's the difference between that and the traits going into it 
versus those maternal indexes like we see in the polypays or in the Catan breed of sheep. Yeah, so for each of our different breeds, you know, we have different selection uh, goals uh, on average. You know, typically our our terminal sire breeds, we're looking to produce um, we're looking to produce lambs that are go going to go into the, the commercial markets or you know the meat markets. So we're going to be selecting for a, a slightly different set of estimated breeding values. Um, and that just take a quick step back. Um, you know, that one of the values of these. Um, of these indexes is their ability to combine these traits in a logical manner. Um, you've talked on several episodes about how a lot of these traits are interconnected through these genetic correlations. Uh, so sometimes you'll select for trait A and you'll indirectly select for a negative trait, uh, trait B. Um, so we try to structure these indexes in a very careful way that we can move both of those traits in a positive manner. Um, for our terminal sire breeds, kind of different than our maternal breeds, um, yeah, we're not really not so interested in the maternal ability of those sheep. But if I'm looking to buy a, uh, say, a Hampshire to put on my polypay use, I'm looking to try to maximize lean meat yield on those lambs. So that's what the Carcass Plus Index was designed to do. It's designed to maximize um, saleable product or lean meat yield on those lambs that I'm trying to put out there on the market. So it's going to combine things like... Um, the growth rates, so the weaning weight and the post-weaning weight of those lambs, because the majority of us producers, we get paid uh, on the commercial market for pounds of lamb uh, that we put on a truck. So we want to try to maximize weaning weight and post-weaning weight. But we're also going to put in uh, in that index um, the traits of eye muscle depth and uh, the post-weaning fat deposition of those lambs, because we want to put together a, a, um, a high-quality positive product out there for the consumers. So we want to look at maximizing pounds with the weaning weight, post-weaning weight, while also making sure it's a high-quality product by putting in the eye muscle and the fat estimated breeding values. So combining all of those into one, um, and again, those within our evaluations, within our populations, those are negatively correlated traits. Typically, the faster growing, the higher weaning weight, post-weaning weight breeding values, the wider muscle those animals are. So by having this index, we can try to move both of those traits in the same same direction at the same time. And when we're thinking about those traits going into that, often the term weighted. So those traits, it's not just a three-way split between fat, depth, eye muscle depth, and growth. It's a positive weight placed on post-weaning weight, uh, a negative value on positive fat. So we want a negative fat value and maybe we'll talk about that in a minute on on eating quality or or producing a quality product is what you mentioned, uh, and then also that positive eye muscle depth. And you know the difficult thing is I can make we can make that change, but it is they're antagonistic. The muscle in the in the growth is antagonistic, and so um, you know how are those kind of weighted in that formula to generate the best result? and push that needle further on both trades. Yeah, so well, if anybody's interested in seeing what these, uh, how these indexes are calculated, um, they're they're posted up on the NSIP website. Uh, they're under resources and estimated breeding values. Um, so it's, they're not secret. We're, uh, we're trying, to, trying to open up the black box a little bit and let people in. Uh, one of the first things you'll see is within in all of these indexes, 
there's different weightings on different traits. So we're putting more pressure on one trait over another. And the way that we determine those weightings, it's a little bit complicated because um, as you've talked about in several of your episodes, these different traits have different heritabilities. Um, so it's, you know, the higher the heritability, the faster we can make genetic progress in that. Um, so we might not need to put as much selection pressure on that within an index. We might need to put more pressure on the woolly heritable traits. We also need to factor in those genetic correlations that as we, um, you know, as we move trait A, we also are indirectly moving trait B. Um, so all of those need to go into uh, the weightings of these traits. And, um, you know, sometimes, as you mentioned, Cam, we don't want to move everything in a positive direction. In Carcass Plus, we want to increase the amount of muscle, increase the growth rates, but decrease the fat deposition. So we'll have a positive influence on the growth in the muscle, but a negative influence on the fat. So these are all, we, we have a desired output that we want to get out of this index. And we'll carefully go through the uh, carefully go through the data to figure out how much emphasis we need to put on each uh, trait to get that desired gain, to get that desired output. Yeah, and it's certainly again we talked center of the nation sale both in a podcast and then with you there on that last episode. But you start to look at some of these terminal sire breeds and how far they are they are pushing selection. I think I don't know what the highest carcass plus value was. Uh, it's an arbitrary value if you don't understand EBVs. But for someone who's gone to that sale, you know, for a couple of years now, and you always look forward to it, some Suffolk Rams that are going in there with some one eighties. You know, what's the for the Suffolk breed? Are we going to start seeing some carcass plus of of north of two hundred? Yeah, it's just. It's crazy to think of the genetic potential. Uh, again, you sit there and talk to these breeders, and you, these lambs are doing 200 pounds by five, six months of age. And the, they're not small sheep, mind you, in the, on the Suffolk side. I think most of them. Um, but, you know, the, the one gentleman I was talking with, I think his lambing percentage was, uh, was approaching 200%. So like those ewes are still doing their job for him, you know, generating number of lambs born because he needs rams to sell. You know, it's still valuable to him to have sheep that have, you know, a, a decent amount of prolificacy. But that you will wean 300 pounds of lamb. And it it to me is just a a crazy number. Uh, yeah, I think the Suffolk breed especially is is one that, that you can commend for their rate of selection. And certainly there's differing opinions on, you know, whether they look like they're supposed to, or if, if it's the direction we need to go in longevity, but uh, are there any other breeds just in, in your time there that you've really seen just rapid selection, not necessarily carcass traits uh, or the carcass plus uh, that's kind of a testament to selecting this index and really pushing for, improved production yeah there, there's a lot of really good examples you mentioned the suffix i mean they've made tremendous progress over the last 10 15 20 years however whatever time frame you want to look at I mean, their their trajectory for for weaning pounds of of lean meat has just gone through the roof um and another great example of that <clears throat> are the polypase selecting on off of the u.s maternal index um you know 
within 10 year time periods, whatever, whatever 10 year time period you, you look at, um, there's a pretty linear growth in the output of those ewes. And uh, over 10 years, increasing pounds of lamb weaned per ewe lambing by about 15 pounds. So that's pretty amazing to think about it. Is that's just through genetic progress alone. So that's not taken into consideration any sort of management changes, any sort of ration changes or anything like that. Just by which rams you made up with which use, the polypay breed as a whole increased you output by 15 pounds. That's a, I mean, it's 15 free pounds of lamb that you get to market just through genetic selection. That's pretty right. amazing. Pretty right. amazing. And when you, you look at prices now at, at even $2 a pound, that's an extra $30 of, of product generated per you. And that's if we're not accelerated. So it, it is incredible. Uh, I, those are the fun stories to hear about and just real world examples of, of how it's being improved. You brought up the Suffolk and the Polypay and just something that, uh, not that there hasn't been you know, index improvement in the Katahdin breed of sheep. Do you think that breed is is confounded slightly because we have other traits that we're selecting very intensively for, or a lot of producers are selecting for, uh, for example, fecal A count EBV? And so if I'm making, if I'm trying to make selection in two separate areas, I can't move as rapidly as if I'm, say, a Suffolk producer trying to generate growth and muscle uh, and those are higher heritabilities uh, than what are, are some of our maternal traits and then also um, do you mind speaking at that point? yeah yeah so there's a, there's a couple of different things that play there um, one is you, you touched on it we know that uh, in our genetic selection the more traits we try to select for at one time the more traits we try to move the needle on the slower our overall genetic progress is um, we can take that to the other extreme though uh, we know that single trait selection we can move the needle really fast um, that's not always a good thing uh, I, I challenge your listeners I've been trying to get a, an answer to this question I cannot think of one positive example of single trait selection in livestock breeding. If anyone thinks of a good example where single trait selection worked and it didn't mess up a whole bunch of other stuff, I'd really like to hear that. Um, but that's, you know, these indexes, we're, we're moving multiple traits. Uh, sometimes it can be a little bit slower. Within the Katahdin breed in, in particular, there's a couple of things at play. One is I think there's different groups selecting for different things. Um, you know, they're not just focused on that maternal ability. Some groups are trying to focus more on the parasite resistance. So we're going to sacrifice a little bit there. We're going to, we know that, okay, if I'm going to use this line here, I know I'm going to get parasite resistance. I'm going to give up a little bit on the maternal side. Um, we don't want to take that too far and completely ignore the maternal side. Uh, I know there's a different, another group that's focused more on the terminal traits um, that are trying to improve the carcass cutability. Um, so as we bring in these more traits, um, yeah, the, the slower the overall progress is going to be. And uh Part of it is also just the growth that we've seen in the Katahdin breed on NSIP. Uh, we get more new producers, and as new producers come in, their first year or so, you know, those the accuracy of their breeding values are going to be slightly lower. Um, just we don't know as, as much information about those sheep, so we need to hedge our bets a little bit on those estimated breeding values, and we do that with the lower accuracies. So that's going to bring down the overall genetic progress just a little bit. Um, 
in the long goal, that's a really good thing. We're getting more diversity within the breed. We're capturing more of that diversity in the genetic evaluation. Over time, we make these selection tools more accurate and better. Um, just one of those growing pains we have to deal with over time. Yeah, and then my other question before we let we let uh, Tom come out of the penalty box and talk, but we, <laughs> I've always been curious, and there may not be a good answer for this, in the Dorset breed of sheep, what do you do with a dual-purpose breed of sheep and NSIP? Because the majority of Dorsets you know, here in Ohio or this Midwestern Dorset are on the production side of things are more of what we would call like an old world style Dorset. You know, we want them more maternal in, in style and functionality, but they also, most of the ones around here are producing hothouse lambs, lambs in that 60 to 80 pound range that are going into Mount Hope, New Holland, those ethnic, heavy ethnic markets. Uh, and we're evaluating those sheep with a carcass plus index. Is there opportunity for some maternal selection for some of those breeds? And, and and that being said, a lot of the NSIP flocks, Dorset flocks, are producing rams that are going out as terminal sires. So, you know, what do you do with a dual purpose breed like that? Yeah, that's a really good question, Cam. And that, that, uh, I don't have a great answer for that. Um, as you mentioned, we treat the Dorsets, excuse me, treat them as a terminal sire because most other breeders and other countries use Dorsets as a terminal sire. Um, we can utilize these estimated breeding values to select that population or any population to go whichever direction you want. It's up to the breeders to decide, do I want to select more on the terminal side? Do I want to select more on the maternal side? Um, like I said, these uh, indexes, they're published up on their website. If you want to run the Carcass Plus index on your Katahdins, you can certainly do that if that would be of, of value to your selection. Um, you know, on the Dorsets, we we report both the, uh, the Carcass Plus index as well as the maternal indexes. So the breeders can decide which direction they want to go. And that's something maybe, I don't know if the Dorset breed itself has to do it, has to pick which direction to go. Um, or if that's individual breeders. Um, I think we definitely see that. Some breeders try to go more terminal, some go more maternal. Um, uh, I, I, will, I will never tell any breeder what uh, type of sheep they should raise or how they should raise them. We're just at NSIP, we're just going to provide the tools that allows you to select the type of sheep that you want to select for. Um, I look to other livestock species as examples, and I haven't found that many great examples of dual purpose. Like I look at... <laughs> The shorthorn breed of cattle, you know, mil milking shorthorns that try to try to do dairy, try to do beef. They don't really excel at either one, but are pretty mediocre at both. Um, so is, if that's the direction Dorsets want to go, they're certainly welcome to. We'll, we'll just provide the tools that they can select whatever whatever they want to do. And it is interesting, again, if we loop them or lump them all into this group of commercial Dorsets. You know, look within NSIP and see those that, you know, what I would term as more maternal in design and function, and then certainly those that are more terminal in in type and kind. And, you know, if I was looking at getting into some Dorset sheep, what's fun is I have both sides of the equation to really accomplish the same goal or different goals uh, with 
with different sheep with one breed. Uh, and that's, I think that's kind of a, a neat thing to look at, but yeah, when we're thinking about uh, the index, Tom, where have you seen kind of your selection geared towards how much do you pay attention to it? And have you found any value using it? I think maybe only in the last year to year and a half, I've kind of uh, maybe understood it a little more. And um, I just kind of noticed that as the uh, maternal weaning weight comes up, number of lambs born, number of lambs weaned comes up, uh, and my post-weaning weights come up, so does that U.S. hair, maternal U.S. hair index. And um, because I think the first few years that I was in NSIP, I was kind of just kind of tripped up on that hair index, again, thinking like so many people, that has a lot to do with hair. I didn't understand it until it was explained to me that, no, the hair just means hair breed. And uh, it, it, as far as, and I don't know if that's other hair breeds or not, but I was told that uh, was a hair breed for Katahdin. And so I just noticed, uh, as we first started to, I guess, uh, submit data, uh, that that U.S. hair index was always below 100. And uh, it's just been the last few years that we finally got that to creep up and, and go. But again, I think a lot of it was trying to understand what a lot of these EBVs meant and then trying to decide what direction we should be heading, what we, what we should be improving on and, and those things. And, and you know, you'll talk to somebody that says, uh, oh, we don't keep anything with a post-weaning weight below five. You know, well, I, I don't know that uh, for us that that's a huge, huge issue. You know, we, we lean more towards the parasite-resistant end of things and try to bring up some of these others in the process. I think that's a good point, Tom. It, it, you know, the index, I see the index as a starting-off point for our selection decisions. And I like to explain it to folks that, the indexes are are made for everybody, but made for nobody at the same time. Uh, you know, we're trying to select an overall good sheep, but your selection goals are different than CAM selection goals, which are different from mine. So uh, I think it's a good starting off point. And I, I see a lot of folks that will set thresholds. They'll say, I'm not going to look at any keeping any replacements that are under a 102 for an index. Mm-hmm. And then after they make that first cut, then they go back and look at the individual EBVs to figure out which ones have the pieces they're going to fit your selection goals. So it's, it's they're made for everybody, but made for nobody at the exact same time. Yep. Yeah. I the other thing that if we could have you touch on again, you've seen more, more, more EBV printouts than probably anybody else. Um, you know, I think there's a temptation to sit at the computer and or print off um, you know those sheets and really select sheep on paper and we can make a lot of progress doing that and I've, the reason I bring this up because I've heard your opinion on this and kind of the order in which we select sheep for production uh, do you mind sharing just kind of the use of the tool? being EBV in, in genetic selection, then also kind of real-world sheep production selection that goes on for the field and in the lambing barn. 
So I've I've seen it done a couple different ways, um, and they're actually kind of opposite of each other. It's what I personally do with my flock is after I submit my data, get my breeding values, um, I'm looking to select replacement ewe lambs, for example. I make my first cut um, based off of what I see on the computer. So I, I go through and I just knock off ones that are definite calls based on their estimated breeding values. And then I take that information and say I say I want to keep back 50 ewe lambs. I'll use my my uh, EBV printouts to knock it that knock that list down to maybe 75 potentials. Then I take that list, I go out into the pasture or out into the barn, and that's where I make my final cut, where I'm actually visually looking at the sheep and making sure, okay, does that fit the type and kind that I want? Are they sound functional sheep? So I'm using that as a tool to help me make those final decisions. I know other breeders that do it opposite. They make their first cut, they go out to the barn first thing, and they find the sheep that fit that type and kind have those structural characteristics that they're looking for. And after they've used that to make their final cut or make their first cut, then they go into the office and do uh, their final selections based on the estimated breeding values from those potential populations. So um, I've seen breeders do it successfully both ways. Um, how you choose to do it in your operation, whatever fits, whatever's going to fit your needs. I, um, I, I hate the cliche of it's another tool in the toolbox, but really that's all it is. That's all these breeding values are. And I like to credit, um, I was doing a webinar oh, a few years back now and um, a Suffolk breeder we have here in NSIP. Um, he's out in Kansas by the name of Matt Beals. He had a good quote that I've used that, you know, NSIP, they can make a good animal breeder better. Okay, so it's not the end all be all. There's still a lot of other things we need to be looking at. These are a tool that can make a good animal breeder better. They're not going to take everybody and make them into an awesome animal breeder. Hmm. There's still a lot of other skills that you need to have um, outside of just looking at what's on the computer. Right. Yeah, I think there's a, a degree of stockmanship that still goes into it. And by no means, you know, those new producers that are getting into it, I think it's an extraordinarily valuable tool at early selection for when you're learning you know, to assist in finding what you want uh, on the production side of things. And then through your education, through that learning process, finding what's actually working you know, in your environment and, and how you operate. Um, you know, similar to, to what you're mentioning there, Russ Young, kind of two different avenues. I know we sorted breeding groups here over the weekend and, uh, we've been awfully dry, kind of the tail end of this summer. And so there's some ewes that are coming out of, you know, my initial commercial flock. And so I don't have accuracy and I don't have a, a robust data set on those sheep uh, with connectivity. So a lot of their EBVs, their breeding values aren't as stout as maybe some of the sheep I've, I've bought in. Uh, and so on paper, they don't really match up with with a lot of those newer genetics. However, in the environment, and it's been more harsh than, than what I'd like here for you know central Ohio, if they're fat and look good, those sheep have value to me. Let's go back to their EBV profile and where can I fix them? You know, where can I add value in the traits that they lack on paper? to generate sheep that work in my environment and then also have improved productivity. Uh, it, it's like you said, 
cliche, but that tool in the toolbox that I think a lot of people are are probably missing in the toolbox when we think of just you know industry acceptance and um, and use, but it has a lot of value. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it has a lot of value, ability to to move those needles. It's just, it all comes down to what are your goals with it. Um, and it's you know, are you a commercial producer? Your main goal is to produce lambs to go on a commodity market, sell them at the sale barn or direct market or whatever. Or are you a seed stock producer uh, first and foremost? And that's your main goal, and that's um, how you want to make your money. You're going to use those tools differently depending on what those situations are. So it all comes down to. What are you hoping to get out of it? I mean, NSIP can just help you get there. It's up to you as the producer to figure out which direction you want to go. That is so true. Well, we're coming up on our time. And uh, Rusty, we definitely want to thank you for uh, jumping on here and helping us with some of these explanations. And uh, you got an email there you'd like to kick out so people can get a hold of you? Yeah, so folks can always uh, email me at info at NSIP.org. And uh, I'd also encourage folks, you know, the first Wednesday of every month, noon central time, we have an open discussion forum. Um, the link for that's up on our uh, NSIP website. I encourage anyone to jump on and we just uh, talk about anything and everything sheep. Doesn't always have to do with estimated breeding values, but it's always a good sheep conversation. What is that website? Uh, the website is NSIP.org. And yep. you can find the, uh, find the open forum. It's under member services. So anyone's welcome to join those. Sounds good. All right. Well, we'd like to thank you all for listening to another episode of the Grazing Sheep Podcast. Uh, if you want to reach out to us uh, with a question or a comment, you can do that by getting a hold of me at bigtomperkins at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page called the Grazing Sheep Podcast. We'd like you to get on there and like and follow. You can leave some uh, comments or questions there as well. So, Rusty, again, we'd like to thank you. And uh, it's been good catching up with you guys and just finding out what's going on in the world. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. And uh, if I can ever help out anybody, just let me know. All right. And we'll talk to you later. See you, Tom. Bye.